SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number six with guest Itzik Bengan. So our guest this evening is Itzik Bengan. Uh, BG is a mentor and one of the founders of Solid Quality Learning. He teaches, lectures, writes and consults about SQL Server internationally. He's been working with databases and data warehouses since 1992 and has been focusing on SQL Server specifically since 1998. He writes monthly columns in SQL Server magazine and has co-authored the book Advanced Transact SQL for SQL Server 2000. He founded the Israeli SQL Server and OLAP Users Group in 1999 and has been managing it since. He's an MCT, an MCDBA, and a current SQL Server MVP. And so, welcome, BG. Well, thank you. Glad to, to be That's here. That's great. <laughs> Can I get you first up to just tell us how, how you came to be involved with SQL Server at all? Well, uh, I guess it started uh, about, I think, 12 years ago or so. Uh, it was a mm-hmm. course in the Army. Uh, I wouldn't say SQL Server specifically now, rather more SQL, uh, which is uh, my main interest, the language, even though I'm focused in SQL Server. But anyway, uh, I was in a course in the Army. This is the first time I saw the language. In particular, this was for uh, IBM mainframes. But the language is standard and uh, just fell in love. It was ah, simply great. amazing. Uh, the idea behind the relational programming and the whole concept of the SQL language and so on. And I just uh, hooked. Uh, but then I started working in various fields within uh, computing. After the Both in the Army and after the Army, I tried many things. Uh, I call it the uh, horizontal uh, uh, experience. So I tried many things, programming, system administration, networking, uh, mainframes, and so on and so on. And then I chose the part that I really felt that uh, uh, I like best and I'm uh, also good at. And then I started uh, drilling down vertically, really diving into it. So The, f- the um, first time I came across you, myself, I must admit, was many years ago and uh, in the Microsoft Trainer news groups. Right. So basically, uh, I used to train. I mean, I had uh, a lot of ex- field experience before uh, training, but then I always wanted to train, and I didn't know back then that uh, training is really what I'm uh, destined for. I mean, what I really, really like to do. I could guess because all my family are teachers. My father teaches mathematics, and my sister teaches English, and my brother teaches architecture. So I could have guessed. But anyway, <laughs> at some point, I thought of taking a part-time job in training. And when I started, uh, it was so uh, it's, it was such a good fit for me 
that I decided to focus on training and do the other uh, stuff uh, less extensively. So at Did the beginning, I trained the uh, networking and the other aspects of computing and programming. But then when I started to train uh, SQL exclusively, uh, I realized that this is really what I wanted to focus on. Did your father's interest in mathematics, uh, you think, lead to your interest in puzzle solving? Oh, definitely. Uh, first of all, my father loves uh, puzzles. And many of the puzzles that I uh, got, I got from him. Uh, and because uh, SQL itself is so uh, logic-oriented, and pure uh, mathematical and logical puzzles uh, have so much in common in the, the thought processes involved and the patterns of thinking uh, that yeah. I, I'm definitely sure that it had to do with it. Great. And so uh, recently you're in Australia and uh, travelled around and one of the things we uh, got to see, fortunately, were some of the sessions where you were covering uh, puzzle solving effectively and, uh, and clever ways to make use of T-SQL. Right. So here's the, the idea, what I just talked about that I try to show uh, different aspects of uh, logical problems and how they relate to SQL problems. And uh, mm -hmm. maybe it sounds, uh, the topic itself, maybe it sounds very theoretical, but it, uh, it's really very, very practical. I mean, you take any SQL-related problem and you realize that uh, within it, deep inside, is a pure logical problem. And if you just practice those logical uh, problems and puzzles, then you basically improve your uh, SQL problem-solving capabilities. That's what I believe. Can you give us an example of what you mean? Oh, sure. So let's take, for example, uh, the idea of uh, what I call uh, reverse logic or negative thinking. So uh, a pure logical puzzle is a very ancient puzzle uh, where two guards uh, stand in front of two doors. One door leads to sudden death, and one, gold, uh, one door leads to gold and uh, a lot of money. One of the guards mm -hmm. always lies. One of the guards always tells the truth. And you have only one chance to ask any question, but you have only one chance to ask a question. Uh, you don't know which is the liar and which is the sincere guard. So having only one opportunity without applying this negative thinking or reverse logic there's no way for you to one, to be sure in 100% where is the door that leads to the gold. So you ask, yes. if I ask the other guard, where is the door that leads to the gold, what would he say? So either of them that you ask would point on the incorrect door. Because if you ask the liar, he knows that the other one tells the truth, he would want to lie, so he would point on the incorrect door. If you ask the one that uh, is sincere, he knows that the other one is a liar, and also would eventually point on the incorrect door, so you go to the other one. In SQL, there are many, many types of problems where you can apply similar uh, logic, uh, mainly uh, what's called relational division, where you have a certain uh, set of elements and you want to figure out whether this uh, set contains a whole, uh, let's say, I want to say another time set, a, a whole subset mm -hmm. of elements. Yes. For example, uh, you have uh, ordered lines and you want to figure out which orders contain a certain basket of uh, products. Uh, it's not as simple as having the different attributes that you need to investigate in a filter. Here, each product appears in a different order line. So in order to figure out which orders contain a whole basket of products, you have to apply these relational division uh, techniques. 
And some of those techniques apply reverse logic, which is this special kind of thinking. For example, in order to say which orders contain products A, B, and uh, F, for example, you can say, give me all orders for which you cannot find any product in the list that does not appear in the order. Okay, mm-hmm. so by applying two times a negative uh, idea, then two negatives give you a positive and you'll only get the, prod- the orders that contain the whole list of products. So in some okay. cases, you will see that the technique applying reverse logic will be uh, in similar performance to applying positive logic. In some cases, worse mm-hmm. performance. In some cases, better performance. But what I'm saying is that this is another type of thinking and another tool that you have in your toolbox and you can always use it. And in some cases, it will be dramatically faster and dramatically simpler. So that, that's an example. That's great. Any other straightforward example? Oh, sure. For example, uh, when you need to uh, apply um, this uh, simplification uh, idea in uh, logic, um, whenever you get a problem, uh, your mind is used to thinking in one way, but there are some cases where the solution is so simple that it's under your nose, but you don't see it. So mm-hmm. the idea in logic here is to try and, uh, and relax limitations, to try to think in more simple terms, not to get distracted by the details. For example, uh, you have a chocolate, and the chocolate is made of uh, five columns and eight rows. And you are supposed to... Uh, this means 40, of course, individual uh, squares within it. You have to figure out a way to cut the chocolate uh, by making straight cuts, either horizontally or vertically, without uh, placing any uh, chunk on top of the other. You're only allowed to make one cut when you have a certain chunk. And you have to figure out what's the minimum number of uh, elements that... uh, that, uh, or sorry, what is the minimum number of cuts that you need to make cuts, in order yeah. to spread them into the individual uh, pieces, right? Mm-hmm. So most people try to think in terms of uh, let's cut maybe in the middle, first in a straight line, maybe first uh, horizontally, and then uh, again horizontally in the middle of each chunk and so on, and then start vertically. And the thing is that uh, you start getting confused by the count of the count of the cuts that you made. So every mm-hmm. time that you add up the cuts you get a different number. It makes you believe <laughs> that there are different numbers. But ultimately, if you think of, of the chocolate in terms of simply a single uh, piece or a single chunk, after making one cut, you have two pieces. Now, anyway, you have to deal with each piece individually. Take one of the pieces and make a cut. Now you have three pieces. In short, to cut the 40 individual pieces, there's no other way than 39 cuts. Yes, so you this must is a matter yeah. of simplification. So in terms of a SQL, for example, uh, there are many types of problems where looking at the, at the request, you start thinking in more traditional uh, terms, uh, maybe nesting subqueries, maybe using uh, even iterative logic and so on. And there are many, many cases where the solution is so simple you just didn't think about it. For example, you need to uh, count the number of occurrences of a string within a string. Most people would think in terms of a loop, okay, using uh, some iterative logic and then identifying the position of the first occurrence and then going to the next and so on and so on. But mm-hmm. what you can do is you can take the replace function 
and substitute all occurrences of the substring with an empty string. Now the difference in length between the two is obviously the total length of all occurrences removed. So take the difference That's in length right. between the original length and the new length, divide by the length of the substring you removed, and you got the number of occurrences. Okay, it's yeah. simply maybe not the more intuitive way to come up with originally. But once you figure this out, it makes a lot of sense and sounds very simple. Do you think you you potentially run the risk of making it more difficult for somebody else to follow what you've done, though? Not necessarily. Actually, what I think is that uh, many of these techniques uh, are a matter of getting uh, used to this thought pattern. Okay, If this is the first time you hear of a certain concept, it's very tricky, it's very confusing, it sounds very strange. But this is what I like to call fundamental key technique. Uh, and my main approach in general, in, uh, when people ask me, how do you learn uh, SQL? How do you become uh, really good in programming uh, in SQL? And at least the approach that I took, and I find it very powerful, is to be able to identify uh, key elements within the problem and then uh, come up with a fundamental key technique to solve it and then you work on it from various angles, you polish it, you tune it, and then it's another new technique in your toolbox. So, for example, uh, when I mentioned the relational division and the reverse logic approach, this is basically implemented in SQL as twice not exists. It's very, very tricky to figure out the first time you see it. But once you get used to the idea, it simply becomes part of your vocabulary. It's just natural. Or take another very tough problem. You have a, a, an array of elements, simply comma-separated list of values. And maybe even you have multiple ones, one in each uh, row. And you need to normalize this uh, data, and you need to split it into the individual uh, elements. So mm -hmm. the technique to solve this is first to cross or to join this uh, table that contains the arrays. Uh, you join it with an auxiliary table of numbers. And the auxiliary table of numbers is one of the most powerful uh, key techniques that I'm using in so many solutions. Basically, as a sequence of integers, one and on, as many as you might need. So you basically join the arrays table with the nums table, and then you uh, you make a joint condition that is based on uh, the character in the nth position is equal to a comma. You basically get a match for each element. In general. You use such an auxiliary table of numbers to generate duplicates. So hmm. uh, the separating elements problem, uh, when you look at it for the first time, you need to be able to identify that out of each base row, you will end up generating multiple duplicate rows, and then in another step, you will isolate each individual piece. So I, uh, generating duplicates, once you uh, realize uh, when you isolated this uh, key uh, element, generating duplicates, you realize that you use an auxiliary table of numbers where n is smaller than or equal to whatever number or where a character in the nth position is equal to something. Then this becomes part of your uh, vocabulary. Now whenever in another problem you will identify a, a step that involves generating duplicates, you will immediately know that's a join to an auxiliary table of numbers. So, sorry, you, t you tend to build all... I noticed when you were doing a lot of the puzzles when you came to our user group, the uh, you, you tended to have yeah an auxiliary table of numbers, so you've just built a table with a whole sequence of numbers, and you tend to use that in lots and lots of different problems. Right. 
It's simply an amazing uh, number of problems. One is separating elements that I just mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Another problem is a very practical uh, problem where you need to identify uh, what's called gaps and islands. Uh, it might be gaps or islands in integers, but more typically it appears in uh, sequences of uh, dates. For example, a process reports periodically that it's uh, online or alive. Let's say once yeah. a day or once every four hours, whatever. And then in uh, certain periods of time, the process was down. Now you need to figure out when the process was down, when the process was up, and return this information as uh, ranges of dates, from day to mm-hmm. date, from day to date, and so on. So uh, this is another example where uh, people usually tend to think in traditional terms, but once you figure out that you can use uh, numbers here, this is not really auxiliary table of numbers. In this case, this is more something called uh, row numbers. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. you can use row numbers here in a fantastically simple solution. Now, uh, the, the technique that uh, solves the problem in a very simple uh, manner using the row numbers uh, applies only to the islands problem, where you need to figure out when the process was available, for example. But now when you want to figure out when the process was not available or identify the gaps, use an auxiliary table of numbers and then request all numbers from the auxiliary table that do not exist in the current table. And if these are dates, then you can simply use a certain base date plus the n value minus 1 to generate something like an auxiliary table of dates. It doesn't really matter. So you Mm -hmm. just generate the inverse data. So grab everything from the auxiliary table where the value does not exist within the current table and the value is between two extreme points. Now you're back to the islands problem where you can implement this uh, solution that uses the row numbers. Okay, okay so this is another example. But I used I used the, the, this auxiliary table for so many. I could uh, mm. dedicate the whole day, I think, alone just to the auxiliary table of numbers <laughs> easily. Yeah. That's great. The... Um one of the things that uh, I would like to ask you a little bit about while we're talking on the subject of T-SQL, that we've had quite a bit of discussion around the country lately on coding standards, and I'm just a little interested to hear your, your thoughts in general about uh, any coding standards you apply to T-SQL. Right. So, uh, first of all, I don't think that everyone should use exactly the same coding standard. I mean, standards mm-hmm. are good, don't get me wrong. But I, I think that uh, this should be some sort of a mix between what you feel that is uh, uh, best for you, you feel that is most natural for you, because it's very personal. I find it very mm-hmm. similar to the way uh, you speak. Everyone uses English. And that's the, maybe the standard uh, language. But everyone has its own, uh, uh, its own vocabulary and uh, its own personal way of uh, saying things. So it's important mm-hmm. that people will understand you, but just the same, it's uh, important to uh, to have your own personality and your own character within it. Very similar mm-hmm. uh, coding style in SQL. The most important thing is that it will be easy to read, easy to understand, not just for you, obviously, also to other people. And, mm-hmm. for example, some people I saw using uh, only uppercase, all across. Mm-hmm. This is uh, terrible. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, I can't believe that someone can feel that uh, this is uh, natural or uh, obvious. I mean, maybe it's easy, 
to make everything mm-hmm. uh, uppercase or maybe uh, uh, something similar. But it's very, so hard to read. It just uh, hurts your uh, eyes. So mm-hmm. I can give you examples of uh, what I use that with time I figured yep. out that is both convenient for me and also is readable and uh, easy to maintain by others. So mm-hmm. basically I use uh, for keywords. I use uppercase, all the select, from, where, and so on, exclusively uppercase. Yes. For uh, functions, the same thing, uppercase. For uh, expressions, uh, using uh, column names, I use exclusively lowercase. So all column names are lowercase. Only if I have to deal with existing tables, obviously I would use the uh, casing that the table has because of mm-hmm. case sensitivity issues, if the environment is case sensitive. Yes. Okay. So if you have so multi, just the multi words in a column, uh, do you then use underscores? Right. Yes. Well, the question is, mm-hmm. if if this is just a two-word uh, column and it's fairly short, if I feel that it's uh, readable without the underscores, I won't use underscores. Mm-hmm. I try to avoid it. But if it is uh, maybe made of uh, three words and maybe if they are lengthy, I usually try n- to avoid very lengthy strings but mm-hmm. if I feel that it contributes to uh, readability I will use it that's that's my uh, my guide mm. now it's also very important indentation so typically I, if the query is lengthy I would break select alone from alone each table in the join would appear separately and then some indentation in front of it and then mm-hmm. the join condition would also appear below the table name and with some additional indentation now, for example, with the select list or group by list or a, a order by list, if the list is very short, I'll place everything on one uh, line along with the select. If I feel that it becomes too long, I'll break it into several lines. Yep. That's the idea. Hmm. Now, I have okay, to great. say there's one exception in uh, news groups, even though it's not, I know it's not good education, but sometimes when I answer questions in uh, news groups, I'm just in a hurry, and I want to give mm-hmm. a reply, so I just make everything lowercase. But it's not yeah. something that people should use as an example. Mm. If I have the yeah. time, I will go and uh, use a proper casing like I'm used to. Yeah, That's great. Th- thanks for your thoughts so, on that. Natural. Listen, sure. what we might do then, uh, we might just take a short break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about changes coming up in T-SQL. Great. All right. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular... The first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. So, welcome back from the break. Um, actually, what I might first up do is get you to tell us just a little bit about uh, yourself and your family and things uh, before we then talk about things in T-SQL uh, that are coming in 2005. Right. Uh, I'm okay. based in Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I spend most of my time uh, traveling, uh, mainly in the U.S., but also in uh, Europe, and uh, we just started uh, in Australia. Uh, yep. um, 
I live here in a small uh, country place called uh, Tel Mond. Uh, we moved here mm-hmm. just recently, and uh, since I, I really love uh, gardening and dogs, uh, my wife always uh, kept us from having dogs until we moved on to a place with a small piece of land. So ah, now I have a lot of opportunity to both uh, do gardening, and uh, I have now two dogs. These are uh, They are called canine dogs, but not canine like most English people think. Uh, this is C-A-N-A-A-N. This is an Israeli breed. That uh, yes. were originally wild dogs, but at some point, uh, defense forces in uh, Israel, before uh, the country was formed, were mm-hmm. looking for a dog that could uh, both walk and adapt to very extreme uh, weather in the deserts of Israel. So they found these uh, ah. wild dogs. Yeah, so it's named after the region. Uh, Canaan uh, is the Can- biblical Canaan? name yeah. for Israel. Yes, Canaan. Mm-hmm. Canaan is the biblical name for Israel. Okay. Great. Yep. Well, listen. So there are quite a number of things. Uh, when uh, when people first started discussing the idea that you'd be able to write stored procs and things in VB and C sharp and so on, there was a a bit of a discussion about is is T SQL dead? But it certainly seems far from the case. And uh, there are quite a lot right. of work been put into T SQL in this edition. So sort of interested right. in your thoughts and and what parts of that you think are significant. Sure. Well, uh, the, I think there are several imp- very important, even crucial issues in uh, all this .NET integration within uh, the product. It has a lot of potential, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of, uh, of risk. In it. I mean, it has poten- good potential, bad potential. So, yeah. basically, uh, uh, T-SQL is by far the strongest language to deal with data manipulation, all set-oriented activities, mm-hmm. any data access activities. Uh, yep. especially those that query large portions of data, there's nothing faster than the relational mm-hmm. language. But there are many aspects that programmers nowadays try to achieve using T-SQL that T-SQL was never designed to do. And those yep. have more to do with the uh, complex algorithms, iterative logic, formatting issues, uh, math calculations, and so on and so on. These mm. T-SQL was never designed to deal with. And I, I can maybe generalize this as a CPU manipulation. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, all those elements uh, using uh, CLR or .NET integration uh, would be fantastic. For this one issue, if programmers uh, will keep this in mind and not try to use one tool for the other uh, purpose, if you try to force this equal to do what CLR is intended to do, that's bad, and the same thing uh, the other way around. So the the risk I was talking about is, let's say, a programmer that uh, doesn't have any knowledge in uh, T-SQL and in set-based thinking and in relational programming. So trying to to write, uh, I don't know, C-sharp uh, stored procedure that would uh, do a simple update by opening a, a cursor and then iterating uh, through the records one after the other and then updating them instead of doing a simple set-based update will will happen. And will be terrible yeah. in terms of performance. Yes. So there's there's a lot of uh, room for education here, and I think mm-hmm. that another uh, big issue is the concern of people that don't have the skill set. Think about uh, all those mm-hmm. uh, DBAs and all those uh, programmers that uh, exclusively deal with the relational environment and never had anything to do with the programming of VP or C and so on and so on. This is mm-hmm. a great concern for them. Yeah. Yes. So what about uh, the changes to the language itself, though, to T-SQL? 
All right, now this is very interesting. Uh, first of all, there are two, uh, there are many, many uh, enhancements in TCQ in 2005, but uh, the two that mm -hmm. I would like to point out are the ones that I find the most significant. First, actually the one I like best is the one that probably most people won't uh, immediately realize that it's so powerful. This is the row number function. Okay, this mm -hmm. is simply a function that, uh, by the way, all these features, or most of these features, I should say, are ANSI compliant. So they are standard, completely standard, based on ANSI SQL 99. Mm -hmm. So row number is uh, basically a function that assigns uh, sequential integers to rows in a result set based on a given order by. So you determine uh, what is the sort by which you will assign those row numbers. And also, optionally, you can specify a partition by clause. So if, for example, I want to assign mm -hmm. row numbers to each customer order separately, they would start from one and on for each customer uh, separately. So that's the partition yeah. by clause. Looks very and yeah, simple. I suppose the, 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 the point is that you've got, uh, you've got the order of the results is not necessarily in any way related to the order of the row numbers that are coming out. All right, so it, you, it doesn't uh, have to come out in the same order, but yeah. if you think in terms of uh, the optimizer, uh, the data needs to be pre-sorted in order to calculate those raw numbers. So typically, mm. if you have an index, it would use the index. If not, it would sort. So typically, since the data was already sorted and the data was assigned, you would get the results in this order, but not necessarily, mm. of course. I mean, maybe yeah. you calculated a raw number based on one column, but then you added some other elements to the query that caused the, optimi the optimizer to access the data for the other elements in a different order. So basically you're right, it's not guaranteed, but there will be cases where just because of the access methods and optimization techniques the optimizer used, they will be assigned in this order. Now I have to say, the number of applications that this row number function has is simply astonishing. I mean, far beyond, they reach far beyond uh, the scoring and ranking uh, obvious applications. I already gave one example, by the way, where I talked about the islands and gaps problems. Without mm -hmm. row numbers, it's extremely, extremely complex to solve these problems. With row numbers, it's a no-brainer once you figure out the technique, of course. I use them to optimize sorting of the hierarchical structures, the graphs and the trees and hierarchies. I use them for so many different uh, applications, paging for example. I could keep uh, mm -hmm. going on and on. But it's simply fantastic and it's so fast in SQL Server 2005 because the optimizer has specialized operators and techniques to calculate the raw numbers by scanning the data only once. If it's pre-sorted in an index, it won't even need to sort it. Today in SQL Server 2000, mm -hmm. if you're looking at standard techniques, ANSI, set-based techniques to calculate raw numbers, they are amazingly slow. They have n-square performance degradation as the table grows uh, larger. And just to give you a sense, try to calculate row numbers using a subquery in SQL Server 2000. It would take for 100,000 rows something like half an hour. To do this in yeah. uh, Yukon with the row number function, it will be a split of a second. Not a second, a split of mm -hmm. a second. Now, there are techniques in 2000 to calculate those without uh, standard solutions. You can use uh, the identity property. You can create a table with an identity column and then do an insert select. 
Yeah. But then you need to do this in two phases and you need to materialize the results. It will be slower than raw number, but much faster than the set based technique in 2000. Mm. I was going to say, at what stage during the query processing is the row number calculated? Well, it really uh, uh, depends on uh, where you place it in the query. I mean, there, there are only two elements within the query where you can place this uh, uh, row number and also other analytical ranking functions, and I should generalize this mm-hmm. to what's called windowing functions because there are also other elements within the language that have the same uh, similar logic. Basically, I'm talking about mm-hmm. something called an overclose. Okay, it is available also yep. for scalar aggregates like sum, min, max, and so on. Uh, similarly, it's available for other analytical ranking functions like rank, dense rank, and n-type. Same thing with row number. An overclose. Now, an overclose mm-hmm. basically applies the calculation to a window. It's as if a whole window of elements is available to this function, not just the current row. That's basically the idea. Without the need to go and say group by. So the only elements where it's allowed is either in the select list or the order by list. So if you're thinking in terms of the logical processing phases, then it's almost at the end. After the data Mm. was joined, after it was filtered, after it was grouped, after the groups were filtered with the having clause, etc. Now when formalizing the, the result set that will be returned to the caller, so either in the select list or in the order by list. This is the phase where it's uh, actually applied. Mm. It's a bit tricky to talk in terms of when, when dealing with the optimizer, because in many cases it does uh, shortcuts. So you think that it's applied mm-hmm. in a certain uh, phase, but in practice it found a way to do this earlier, uh, still returning the correct result. But in logical terms, mm-hmm. you, the query is evaluated first from the front close, then where, then group by, then having... Then the select list is actually processed, then the order by close is uh, processed. So these are the two mm. last phases in logical processing. But typically, if you need to mm. filter, you need to filter first. If you need to group, you need to group first. Logically, you must do those before. And in many cases, physically, the optimizer will have to do those before actually calculating the raw numbers because they apply mm. on top. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing I was getting at is that they're, they're not applicable in like a where clause. Right. That, that's a very simple uh, issue to deal with, but that's true. I mean, technically, mm. they are not available in the where clause, but you can always uh, use a derived table. This is true, for example, even today when you want to reuse an alias that you create in the select list. It's not reusable yeah. because the select is almost the last logical phase that is applied, so you cannot reuse an alias in the mm. where clause. How do you deal with it today? You create a derived table out of a query that has only the select and from clauses, and then an mm. outer query can reuse the alias. In very similar terms, you calculate the row number and then you create a derived table or even you use a new construct in 2005 called the common table expression that in many cases is very similar to a derived table. And then in an outer Mm. query, it's available for you. You can filter by it, you can group by it, you can do whatever you want with it. Mm. In fact, that probably is a, a good point to discuss uh, well, as well as uh, you mentioned the row number, uh, the fact that we've also got rank and dense rank and n-tile functions there. But you right. start to lead there into common table expressions, and that's another new area? Right. So this is another construct that is uh, based on uh, ANSI SQL 99. Uh, common table expression uh, has two forms, I should say. One is non-recursive, 
where it's very similar to some sort of a mix of the existing table expressions in SQL Server 2000, which are derived tables, which is sort of an inline view, right? And then a view, yeah. and then a, a, an inline user-defined function that is table-valued. So take the advantages of all three, and you have a common table expression. Because on one hand, mm. it's inline. It's available only to the query. And then on the other hand, it, it can accept uh, arguments. I mean, you can define variables and so on, and you can use them within your code. You don't have to declare the CTE multiple times if you need to refer to it in an outer query multiple times, like you have to do now with derived tables. So that's ba yes. the basic uh, non-recursive form. But uh, the, the main power within uh, this construct is its recursive capabilities. Because now you have mm -hmm. recursion within pure ANSI-compliant set-based queries. So all these manipulations of graphs and the uh, trees and uh, fraud detection that uses a lot of recursive uh, activities, all these can actually utilize this uh, new construct. Very elegant, uh, requires very little code to achieve something you would need a lot more uh, in 2000, and very fast also. Mm. It doesn't implement behind the scene like some other database platforms yeah. do with their uh, recursive queries, by the way. Mm. I notice also the default nesting for that uh, 100 level as well. And the, uh, right. I think from my reading, it could go up to any integer. So you could actually you could have quite large nesting actually, levels it's not limited. in that. If I uh, max recursion zero. Hmm. So it's not limited. Oh, okay. So it can actually integer. go deeper than that. Hmm. If you okay. say max recursion zero, there's no limit. But yes, it hmm. is by default set to 100 just because you want to avoid infinite recursive calls in cases where, yes. let's say, you have a cycle within some uh, graph or within some uh, tree hmm. that is unintended. Yes, if the cycle is intended, there are techniques to identify and uh, stop traversal if you identify the cycle. But there are cases where you have bugs in your data and you want to avoid these infinite uh, cycles. So this is simply a safety measure. Yeah. Actually, speaking of bugs and errors and things, the, I suppose another thing is the uh, the structured exception handling. All right. Uh, with uh, Maybe begin I try. And, this is and another of my favorite uh, elements. A so favorite thing, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, one of them. I have to say, row number is my favorite, and then common table expressions, yeah. and then I would definitely say that the exception handling, because in SQL Server 2000. Mm. Exception handling, I have no other word to say but uh, awkward. It's, it was so <laughs> awkward, so non-structured. You couldn't, uh, you have to uh, trap the at that error function after every statement that is suspect and then switch within the different possibilities and uh, maybe mm. use go to statements to some error handling uh, label. This is simply terrible, but even worse, the fact that in SQL Server 2000 there are so many errors that are not considered severe errors, they simply terminate your batch. Take, for example, yeah. uh, even conversion error. You try to insert, a, I don't know, a character, a, an alpha character into an integer uh, data type. This causes a conversion mm -hmm. error. This terminates your batch, so your error handling code doesn't even have a chance to run. Similarly, yeah. deadlocks. There are many, many problems that you want to be able to trap that you can't with this SQL. So mm. both these issues with error handling uh, were solved by using the new try-catch uh, construct in 2005. So you have a mm. very elegant construct, 
It's similar uh, in some sense to try catching uh, object-oriented uh, environments, but there's no uh, object-oriented uh, elements uh, of throwing objects. But basically, you have a, be a begin try, end try block where you place your uh, suspect code, and then you have a begin catch, mm -hmm. end catch block uh, where control is passed as soon as an error is detected. And almost all errors are trappable. I can't say 100%, but the ones that are not mm -hmm. trappable are those that that you understand that can be trapped. For example, I, hardware problems that anyway would terminate yeah. your connection, not, not just the batch, the whole connection. This is reasonable. Mm. But even yeah. compilation and resolution errors are trappable in a higher level with TriCatch. Yeah. So there are yeah. three cases. One case is no transaction at all. Okay? Simply you go to the catch oh, block okay, sure. and you can identify with the function that there's no active transaction at all. Another mm -hmm. case is uh, open transaction. It's still open and still active. You try it with, for example, a primary key violation. So you go mm -hmm. to the cache block. Now you can decide what you want to do with it. Do you still want to continue and commit, or do you want to roll back? That's your thing. The third yeah. case is for errors with severity, with a high severity level. These would enter a doomed state. So the transaction, mm -hmm. on one hand, is not, not committable. Uh, but still you hold all the locks, so no one else can touch the data, you can still query it and investigate it. Basically, you cannot do anything mm. that would write to the transaction log. And ultimately, if you want to write to the log, I mean, do something that writes data, then you have to roll back, and then in a new transaction, do whatever writes you need to do. You can trigger this state, this doomed state, for any error, even non-severe, if you set the exact abort session option on. Yeah. This would cause all errors, without exception, to enter this doom state. Hmm. I notice also that so the equivalent of throw looks to be uh, raise error with tran abort. Raise error. Yep. Yes, if you want to raise error and hmm. enter this doom state. Inside the but try yes, block. Raise error. Yep. Yes, hmm. yes. What's your thought about the need for a finally block? Yes, yes. I mean, there are many elements in object-oriented programming, and actually we discussed this uh, when we met the developers in one of the MVP summits, and people were asking for these mm. things. You have to keep in mind that this is a huge product and it has to be released. I do find the need for a finally block, and I do find the need to be able to throw specific uh, types of uh, errors and have different catch blocks, one for each mm -hmm. type of error. There are many elements that are very nice in uh, object-oriented exception handling uh, that can be helpful here. But this is such a huge step that they did that they don't even want to complain at this point. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's already come uh, a long way. It's a put in the door. First you enter this feature, and then they will go and enhance it. Hmm. That, that were pulled out of the product just to meet the deadline. So yeah. that's the case. What, what's your thoughts on the pivot and unpivot support that they've added? Well, I, I mean, I, I think it, it might. I'm not sure. We'll see. But I think it might mm -hmm. do more damage than good. And, and let me explain why. Mm. Uh, the, the way Pivot was implemented was according to ANSI. Okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so the ANSI Pivot doesn't have the capability to do a dynamic calculation of the target column list. Yeah. Right? You cannot, for example... Similar uh, to the transform the, in access. Oh, exactly. So transform yeah. uh, does 
uh, do completely dynamic pivoting in terms of you don't have to know ahead which list of target yeah. columns you are going to generate. But it's not standard. Now, this mm. sequence pivot is standard, and it only supports a static target column list, meaning you have to know ahead the list of attributes that you are about to rotate. Mm. Uh, the problem here is first, there was, a, there is a technique to calculate pivoting without using the new pivot operator. It's not more complicated, it's not slower, and in fact, the way pivot was implemented internally is basically using the exact same technique that I use today in Sticker Server 2000 <laughs> underneath the covers. You basically do a group by, and then you have a series of max case or some case, depending on the aggregate you need to calculate, just a series of such expressions. This is exactly how pivot does it mm. behind the scenes. So I have to say that even though I like the fact that all these features were implemented in a standard manner, then the pivot itself is a very, very confusing uh, operator. For example, mm. it has an implicit an implicit grouping element. You don't specify a group by close. You just specify what you want to pivot and what is the target list of columns that you're going to generate. And implicitly, all the columns that you didn't specify, these are actually used in an internal grouping element, as if you group by the, those uh, columns. Now, people that are not aware of this will will have a group by a list of columns that they don't want in the group for the pivot. So you have to first mm. isolate all of only the relevant elements in a derived table or a CT, and then on top apply the pivot. I find this very, very confusing. So, mm. I mean, I, I think it's simpler uh, to just use the technique in 2000, and there's no real advantage in the technique in 2005, not performance-wise, not clarity of code, and not uh, mm. what people will really expect, and this is where I feel that it might do more damage. People will see pivot, expect dynamic lists, and realize that it's not available yeah. and will complain. Yeah. In fact, the in state, uh, the, the thing I find uh, sort of odd is that they've got it as an in clause, which almost suggests that you could have a sub-select there. Exactly. But yes, you can't. Yes, yes. Yeah. This is the, the first question that everyone asks or thinks. That some people don't even ask. They say, I will just uh, use a sub-query there. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of limiting. Anything else uh, you think of note, real note, with changes to the language? Oh, there are so many other features as well, but uh, th these mm -hmm. are the ones that I just uh, think are most uh, important or major ones. But, for mm. example, uh, there are also uh, trigger-related enhancements. So you can create uh, DDL triggers. Mm -hmm. and what do you think you'll use those for? To DDL events. Oh, myself? Well... First of mm. all, it, myself is, I will have probably different uh, applications for it than third parties, but I think there are a lot of uh, advantages here for third parties to develop a software. Uh, let, let's start with what I would do with this. For example, you can uh, enforce uh, company policies for naming conventions, mm -hmm. for having a primary yep. key within a table, uh, that maybe all columns must be less than uh, 30 characters and all table names mm -hmm. must be in a certain length and uh, even with a certain case. Okay, all, all those mm -hmm. uh, elements you can force within uh, those DDL triggers, not to speak of auditing. Yep. You yep. want to audit all DDL activities, and this is something that the DBAs are looking for a long, long time. Yeah. Third parties will be able to develop their change management uh, software based on these uh, DDL mm -hmm. triggers also. 
Yeah. What's one of the things that I look at? Um, I, I talk to the product group about. I I wish you had the opportunity to change the DDL statement inside the trigger, uh, similar to right. the way we can change data in a DML trigger. But w- the thing is, at the moment, the event data that you passed that contains the DDL is read only. And uh, yet, I talked to the product group about that, and they said, well, effectively, it sounded like it was too hard to make that uh, easy to change. But they were talking about right. perhaps giving us an instead of trigger uh, as well, because this I'm imagining what I was simple about things. To say. Triggers, and then uh, you got mm. the instead of triggers, and maybe later at some point we will see uh, before triggers. But I think yeah. it, this also influences. They first implemented after triggers, which will have performance issues in some cases. If the DDL activity is mm. very slow, you're about to roll it back, it will have an issue. So we need uh, something yeah. like an instead of trigger, and maybe in the future. If enough people will request mm. it, it will be there. Yeah. But I agree with you. The sort of thing I was imagining is I would like to be able to, uh, for example, if I, if I sent a statement that said create procedure, even as an example, I would like to be able to apply nice formatting to that before it was put into the database and and so on. Just right, simple things, but yeah. Hmm. Oh yeah, very interesting. Hmm. Okay, so this is just one, but as I said, there are uh, so many other enhancements. For example, uh, uh, apply operator, uh, which you can uh, uh, use to apply a certain table expression to each and every outer row from an outer table. I mean, think of it in, in terms of the uh, table operators like join, like uh, the pivot or unpivot operators. With join, for example, um, how, how shall I describe this? Let's say uh, the, the two inputs to a join operation, uh, it's like they don't have any precedence in terms of their uh, role. It's, it's just like taking two inputs and applying some activity between them. With apply, it's like yeah. there is a sort of precedence between the two. So you have a left input. And to each and every row of the left input, you apply a whole table expression, which can be a derived mm. table, it can be just a table, it can be a function uh, that returns a table. But the interesting thing here is because it's as if the left input was already evaluated, then the right input has access to all of the attributes from the left input's rows. So it's like having a table expression that can correlate, which is not available today. And you can mm. do fantastic things with it. Like, uh, for example, I need the three most recent uh, orders for each employee. How do you achieve this today? Not very simple. Anyway, when you come up with a solution, it's not going to be uh, scanning the data only once. Well, here you can do yeah. apply a select top three from the table where, let's say, the customer ID within the orders table is equal to the customer ID in an outer customer's table. Mm. And yeah, it certainly looks very powerful. The top except inputs, right? Top uh, in yeah. 2000 uh, can only accept a constant. In 2005, it can accept yeah. uh, any self-contained expression, including variables, including even self-contained mm. subqueries, and it can be applied to modification statements as well. So this is top. Mm. If you want, I can also yeah. talk about other enhancements. There, are, there are many others. That's great. Well, listen, um, that's pretty much running us up to time. So what? Uh, All right. one thing I might get you to do then is just tell us what, what's coming up in your world in, in terms of where we can see you or books or presentations or things that are happening. Oh, sure. So 
first of all, uh, I'm currently in the process of writing uh, a T-SQL book for a Microsoft Press for 2005. So mm-hmm. this is uh, basically, you're, you're probably familiar with the Kaylin's uh, Inside SQL Server book. Yes, when so we interviewed in her, SQL she Server, said she was getting you involved, yeah. Right, so in SQL Server 2005, uh, there are three volumes planned. One on the mm-hmm. storage engine, one on T-SQL, which I'm going to, actually I'm writing, I'm already a third way through. And the third yep. one uh, will be query tuning. And basically mm-hmm. what, what I was talking about and preaching about, is what I have in this uh, book. So I'm showing uh, how to identify fundamental key elements within uh, problems, polishing them, tuning them, optimizing them. I have done this already. But I'm teaching both the thought process and the different techniques. There are hundreds and hundreds of key techniques like using the uh, auxiliary table of numbers and using row numbers and the various applications, uh, dealing with the graphs and hierarchies and trees etc etc so this is basically mm. uh, the, the idea behind the book I, I'm Correct. calling it the book I should have always uh, written <laughs> I feel very strongly about it right so uh, I'm going to have another uh, round in Australia soon so in Correct. October 10 in Sydney I'm going to deliver the advanced uh, T-SQL course for both SQL 2000 and 2005 because as I mentioned mm-hmm. I deal with problem solving mainly so it's not like just showing a new feature. We deal with problems, yep. show how to solve them in 2000, I show how to solve them in 2005. So October 10 will mm-hmm. be at Sydney, October 17 will be at Melbourne, and you can find a lot of details in our website, uh, solidqualitylearning.com.au. Uh, Everything is yeah. there. And probably we'll try to arrange, like uh, last time, uh, presentations in uh, user groups. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll just be in touch and uh, we can arrange something. It would be nice. What That'll be great. We, we will certainly look forward to seeing you around the country. So I'd like to say, look, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll talk oh, to you again you. soon. Thank you. Sure. Thank you very much. Okay. Greg.